Please turn in your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 23, and I'd like to take the first 12 verses. Luke chapter 23, first 12 verses. Please stand together and let's hear the word of God. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him, Jesus, to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. As soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing, and the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to this passage tonight, and we are amazed at our Savior, Jesus Christ, who stood against these worldly men, and yet was coming to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter, not, not willing to defend himself, but simply to bow the head and receive the punishment of crucifixion. But he did it for us, and so Father, tonight we praise you, we thank you for this great gift of our salvation that he took this death upon himself for us. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us from this, that we'd respond, not as Pilate had responded, but as those who love the Lord Jesus, our Savior and King, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I entitled this message tonight, The King Meets the King. And here, once more, we come face to face with Jesus. And all of us must face Jesus, even as Herod and Pilate face Jesus. We face him tonight in the Word. So God brings us this Word, and he, he asks us the same question that was asked of the disciples and was ultimately asked of Pilate and Herod, who do you perceive this man to be? Who do men say that I am? It's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. The same question is posed to each and every one of us tonight. Who is Jesus? So even the children must answer the question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man who has been revealed to us in Scripture? Jesus, a real figure in history. There's no real question on the part of historians that Jesus existed, that Jesus was sentenced to death, and he was crucified. On the cross. There's no question about that. The main question for us is who was he? And do you receive him as the Word of God presents him to us tonight? 
these men had leveled false accusations against Jesus. That's where it begins. It begins with verses 1 and 2. They began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then there's the exchange with Pilate. Pilate turns to him and says, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. Now, if you turn to John chapter 18, you're going to find a little bit more of an extended conversation here between Pilate and Jesus. Uh, Verse 35 of John 18, let me just expand this ever so slightly, so if you want to flip over there, that's fine. John 18, verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And so Pilate extends the conversation just a little bit and says, you know, what is it effectively to me? I'm a Roman. These are Jews. Uh, You're supposed to be representing the Jews as the king. Uh, You presented yourself as a king. What Obviously, the Jews are not accepting you as king. That's what he's saying. So what is it to me that uh, the Jews have rejected you? You're alone. You have this claim that you've made. But uh, obviously, your political campaign isn't doing very well. Because they're presenting you to me for the death penalty for crucifixion. But Jesus answered, is what he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And so the, the real point that Jesus makes is that his kingdom is not centered here. It's not of here. The word is ek. that is from here. His kingdom is not of this world, it's not from this world, does not derive of this world. His kingdom is derived from heaven. His kingdom is set up in heaven. His kingdom is not intended to be set up in Jerusalem or anywhere else in the world. His kingdom is of heaven. That, that's the point. His throne is not here. His throne is never to be here, not to be in St. Louis, Missouri, or as the Mormons suggest, Uh, He will come to reign from St. Louis, Missouri. His kingdom is not of St. Louis, Missouri. It seems almost humorous to think about Jesus showing up in St. Louis. I don't know. It seems odd to us, doesn't it? That Jesus would reign from St. Louis, Missouri. But it should be, I think, equally odd that Jesus would rule from Jerusalem. Jesus rules from heaven. And uh, that that is the derivation of his kingdom. So, so much of the world is really about politics. And that, that's the issue here as well. So this entire exchange, this, these accusations come from political motivations. And that's because people believe that the control of the world rests in the control of the civil magistrate. They think that the civil magistrate is everything. Now this is even more so in the cognizance of the average person today because we live in a socialist age where roughly half of the GNI is controlled by politics, by government, by the civil government. Not so really in the way of the Roman Empire. They never took more than 6 to 7% of the people's income. Uh, so this is really a first time in all of human history. Over 5,900 years, there weren't the tyrannies that we see today. The tyrannies we say today are 10 times more powerful than they have ever been in all of world history. We've just been the frogs in the slowly boiling water, and we have all assumed that uh, most of life consists of politics, that uh, governments are intended to control every part of life. That's what socialist governments have been doing in America and around the world for the last hundred years. 
And so Republicans, Democrats, almost everybody believes that the, the end all and be all of life is politics. Well, they believed something of that back then as well. But once again, the idea that the president uh, controls the world or that the civil magistrate controls the world is just foolish. It's the idea that uh, power means control and power means an attempt at becoming God. But uh, all these assumptions are false. Actually, the president of the United States has very little control over the nation. What control does the president have of what we're doing here tonight? I want to think about that for a moment. In fact, during the COVID year, it seemed it was more wonderful that we lived in Elbert County, somewhat out from under the control of so much of what the governor was hoping to do and what the president was hoping to do because, you know, these men actually don't control that very much of, of our lives. Uh, very little. Very little control over the sermon. Very little control over the thought life of the average uh, citizen, the conversation going on in our homes. It is true that governments do control a great deal of our lives, largely because now they control education. So because they now control all the schools, governments somehow think that they can control uh, the future. But they, they don't control that much, and that's the point I want to make, is that the kingdoms of this world, that is these great and powerful emperors and presidents, really don't control very much at all. Uh, the individual, the uh, individual power uh, mongers, the human governments of this earth, they cannot control our minds, our lives, as much as they think they can, and they certainly cannot control the future. They cannot bring salvation to the people, although they promise that almost with every election. Uh, they cannot control the economy. They think they can, at least in the short term, uh, but uh, after a while it seems to slip out of their hands, and nations slip into depressions, internal conflicts, international wars, and such. So the bottom line is that governments think they control a lot, and the average person, I think, thinks the government does control a lot, but the governments really don't control all that much. And yet, Jesus does. And that's the point I want to make right now. It's just to slip this in that the kingdom of Jesus is over all. He is over all to the church. And it's quite extraordinary to me to travel the world and see so much of the kingdom of Jesus that has been so successful in capturing the hearts of so many and, and setting the direction of entire institutions, setting the direction of the world, and establishing a church, and the gates of hell do not prevail against the church. As you traveled through Africa, I had to consider all the forces against uh, the church of Jesus Christ, all the racism and all of the ethnic divisions and all of the communism and the socialism that comes up against the primitive uh, satanic cults that are so powerful throughout South Africa and around uh, Africa with all of this opposition and yet the church of Jesus Christ is, is marching on and uh, he is making his people willing the day of his power and just continues and continues on year after year. So nothing can get in the way of the reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, but here, Jesus is accused of, of being a revolutionary or a tax protester. Somebody is going to somehow, uh, in, in some sort of uh, uh, illegal way, control what happens with the civil magistrate in the Roman Empire, or at least within Judea as king of the Jews. Uh, he's also accused of being a tax protester. And tax protesting is a form of rejecting a rightful civil authority. Jesus actually specifically instructed the people to pay taxes 
where taxes were due, where he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It's interesting that he did not encourage paying taxes, nor did he discourage paying taxes. He simply said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he did not have any interest in tangling with the Roman government. He wasn't interested in competing with the Roman government. That was not the essence of his ministry. His primary interest was not to seek political freedom for the Jews out from under the Romans. His agenda was not the agenda of the Jews or the more radical sects of the Jews. It was not the agenda of the Romans either. He actually had come for something different entirely. He had come to set his people free from the bondage of Satan and sin. So so again, the agenda was different. They're not even considering why he came or what his purpose was in establishing a kingdom. And evidently, Pilate was not concerned of it either. The Roman authorities were never convinced of the guilt of Jesus, that he was in any way or shape or form deserving of the death penalty. Pilate was quite aware that these were trumped-up charges. So I think that's important uh, as, as we consider the trial of Jesus and his crucifixion that the Roman government, a pagan government that ostensibly was supposed to have some control over what would happen to prisoners, uh, the Roman government had no sense that Jesus was guilty of any crime deserving of a penalty. Uh, So the Jews were interested in good political relations with the Romans, and Pilate was interested in maintaining favor with the people. So again, there are political forces at work here. Um, Pilate was not interested in revolt. He wasn't interested in the Jews being dissatisfied with his, his leadership. If that had happened, he might have been displaced by the Roman authorities. So Pilate was interested in maintaining favor with the people, and the Jews are interested in good political relations with the Romans, and the Jews had come to this conclusion that they hated the Lord Jesus Christ and they would have him put to death for envy. Uh, But there was no justice uh, on the side of any of them in the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. That justice ever occurs with unconverted leaders should actually be something of a surprise to us. I think it is uh, an indication of common grace that God has mercy on us, that there should be any... uh, sort of justice allowed. In fact, it was always amazing to me that missionaries were allowed into some of these primitive pagan nations around the world uh, by heathen kings. Uh, So obviously, again, an indication that Jesus is, is reigning and that by God's common grace, some level of justice is made available uh, to Christians. In fact, I think just recently, uh, some Iranian judge let some Christians free from prison. Uh, I think we're also hoping that will happen again. Uh, But it was a surprise to me that this judge said, you know, I don't see any problem with these Christians evangelizing. And it sounds to me like he's still a Muslim judge, but but it is an indication of God's uh, common grace that that should happen. Okay, so what is happening here is we see the condemnation of the most righteous by these most wicked and powerful people. On earth, and that is the lesson to take from these verses that Jesus is condemned, he is the most righteous and yet condemned by the most wicked people on earth let 's move on. Jesus confesses to be the king of the Jews, 
here in this passage. Now, up to this point, he hasn't made this a major part of his ministry. Up to this point, he has not publicly declared his kingship. Only foreigners have testified to it, the wise men from the east. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. So in his ministry, you don't find much in terms of an acknowledgement of his kingship. We see that he is acknowledged as Lord by his disciples, but we don't find him uh, acknowledging in a public forum that he is the king of the Jews. He was expressed to be that way by the wise men from the east, uh, and he'd come into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. So that would have been an a indication that Jesus had come as a king, yet a humble king. He would not tell them explicitly he was the Christ in his previous interviews with the Jews, but he informed them, hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. So you remember that from the previous chapter. Uh, When Pilate point blank asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He confirmed it. Uh, But Pilate, of course, nonplussed by this admission. It was a non-starter for him. Because the, the one person standing before him is a bloody, beaten, humbled figure. He's already been beaten by the Jews. He's coming to Pilate, standing there before Pilate, rejected by the Jews. He's an impoverished carpenter from Nazareth, and obviously unpopular with the people. They wanted to kill their king. And so here, the humiliation of Jesus is a turnoff to to men. The crucifixion as well. The rejection of Jesus on the part of his own people is a turnoff to Pilate. He appears to be powerless as he stands here before a pilot, he appears as a lamb, the lamb of God. He is a lamb, holy, innocent, and undefiled, but more vulnerable and without defense, willingly submitting himself to torture and death at the hands of cruel men. So that's what is happening here in the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not impressive uh, to these men. Therefore, what can we say? How did Pilate receive Jesus as he stands before him? How did he respond to this? Pilate obviously despised him. Now, it's doubtful that Pilate pitied him. Pilate saw it more as a joke. He could not take this king seriously. If Pilate had perceived him as a serious contender, truly the king of the Jews, in competition with Caesar, Pilate would have sentenced him to death immediately. But he didn't even see him in that light. Perhaps it was his fight for the Jews and for Jesus. Either way, he could not take the kingship of Jesus Christ seriously. But again, the most important question for all of us tonight is this. And I press the question home for us again tonight. Who is this man standing before us? Who is this beaten, bloody figure before us? Who is Jesus? Who is this king? Let's move on now to verses 4 through 10. Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But there were the more fear, saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man was a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him, and then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate that very day. Pilate and Herod become friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. So what happens now is Pilate sends Jesus off to Herod Antipas, who was not ruling in Judea, but rather in Galilee. You remember that Herod the Great, 
ruled in Judea when Jesus was born. So this is a different Herod. The Herod the Great who built the magnificent temple. He was a very powerful, exceedingly powerful man in the Roman Empire. Uh, Herod the Great, very famous, very powerful. Ruled in Judea and yet had died somewhere around 4 B.C. Well, that means that Jesus would have been born before 4 B.C. So it's hard to say whether Jesus was born, you know, 4 B.C. or closer to 1 A.D. or 1 B.C. We don't know when Jesus was born, uh, but we do know that uh, Herod Antipas began ruling somewhere around the birth of Jesus. Somewhere after, would have been maybe a year or so after, because remember that when Mary and Joseph heard about the death of Herod, they moved back up into Nazareth. So it would have been around that period of time that Herod Antipas began his rule in uh, Galilee to the north. So again, Herod Antipas did not rule over Judea in the south. He was ruling up in Galilee. And so since Jesus was from Galilee, uh, Pilate thought it would be a good idea to send him over to Herod uh, because that was his jurisdiction. And so that's the decision that was made uh, during the trial of Christ. So Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee until AD 39, at which point Herod Agrippa took over. And uh, you remember that Herod Agrippa was the one that put uh, James to death and, um, and uh, uh, eventually was, uh, died by the worms that were consuming him. So, but Herod Antipas uh, ruled until AD 39, at which point uh, he was exiled. Uh, so just a little bit of history there to understand uh, who we're talking about. Herod Antipas was an evil man. He put John the Baptist to death, so you may remember that. And that was during the ministry of Christ. But Herod is excited to see Jesus. Herod sees Jesus as somebody interesting, somebody he wants to get to know. He was the miracle worker. Somebody has a reputation of raising the dead and healing thousands of people. And uh, he's considered, you know, a good man, perhaps, a magician, a circus sideshow, curiosity piece. Herod is interested in getting to know Jesus. And perhaps Jesus would impress him with a miracle. Herod evidently believed that uh, Jesus was a miracle worker and that he could do these miraculous things. So as we consider who Jesus is for ourselves, is Jesus a miracle worker? Is Jesus a good man? So many people see Jesus as a good person, somebody whose life we could emulate. That's the message that is apparently so popular today uh, by so many agnostics and those who have rejected the revelation of Jesus in the word of God. So Herod is interested in meeting Jesus. He doesn't realize, however, that Jesus is the king. He is the king of the Jews. Herod is the king of Galilee, but here is another king, but not a king that Herod will recognize. Now, Jesus refuses to speak to Herod. Not a word, not not one pearl for the swine, not worth wasting a single word. He wasn't interested in any political favors. At one point, he referred to Herod as the fox, a fox, one who is sly, one who is not to be trusted, one who is not to be trusted with anything. So Jesus is wise and not bringing any word to bear. He's not interested in any political favors here. He had no time for political wranglings or dealings with these corrupt men. But, uh, so Herod's response to this is to mock the kingship of Jesus. Much as Pilate would not take 
the kingship of Jesus seriously. So Herod responded by mocking the kingship of Christ and decking him out in the purple robe. So he's pretending, he's, he's mocking Jesus and then allowing his own men to mock him as well. So now these are the people who mocked him. They killed him. Eventually they put him on the cross. We'll get to that in another week or two from now. But, uh, but this is what happened. The, the, the people did not receive him, and that's the point here. The thousands that heard Peter's message at Pentecost, we heard that this morning. Those thousands that had heard Peter's message at Pentecost, what was the problem? What were they to repent of? What was the message this morning that Brother Josh Huiso shared with us? The, the problem is they had failed to recognize their king. And, and that was the message that Peter brought on the day of Pentecost. Generally, people who have accepted a king, received a king, acknowledge him to be a king, and their king, are hesitant to have him crucified. This, this is really the point tonight, as it was this morning. And here's, I think, what Peter was saying in that message at Pentecost. If I could just piggyback a bit on my brother's message. Nobody protested. That's the problem. Nobody protested. Not one person. None of the disciples protested. They, they abandoned him. Nobody, not even the women protested. As far as we know, nobody stood up. Not one person in the crowd stood up and said, No! He's the king! He's my king! He's our king! Don't put him to death! Nobody protested! And that's why the message at Pentecost, that's the call to repentance. And that's why uh, Peter said in the last part of his message in Acts 2 verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the King. So in a sense, they were all guilty. The disciples were guilty. The women were guilty. They were all guilty. Those that would not recognize the King, those who would not bow to the King, those who would not obey the King, and those who would allow for the crucifixion of the King are guilty. And that, I think, is the message that Peter is bringing to them, calling them to repentance, to repent of their view of Jesus. God has made him Lord in Christ, the Messiah, the coming King of the Jews. And they were to repent of not accepting the truth and refusing to protest the crucifixion. And now they were to assuredly know and to believe that this was the Christ. And to repent of not accepting that truth. So the question again for us tonight is who is this one? He is our Savior, the King, the Christ, the Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He is today the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of the nations, the Son of Man coming in judgment, even as he announced himself to be that at the trial. And he is worthy of all honor and glory and blessing. Or he is a fraud, a laughingstock of the nations. It's one or the other. 
And so again, I press you to, to acknowledge him, to be who he said he was. Again, either he is king of kings or a fraud. Which is it? You can't be on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Pilate and Herod became his friends after this because they were set against the Lord and his anointed. This is effectively Psalm 2. Setting themselves, coming together, setting themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. That's why Pilate and Herod become good friends. Because together they condemned Jesus. Together they were set against the Lord and his anointed. They both despised the king. So the world is against Jesus Christ. That's who Pilate and Herod represent. They're the world. It's this great antithesis that has existed from the beginning between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil. They are set against each other. And they set themselves, the world sets themselves against Christ. There's no getting around that antithesis. There's precious little ground, common ground, between the children of the devil and the children of God. The world can fake like they're friends of Jesus. He's a good man. He's a good miracle worker. did a lot of good things. The world can fake it. That's what happens in the Western world as well. So many that just fake it. But when it comes to it, there's only two sides here. Either he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Either he is the Son of Man coming to judge the world someday. Either he is the one who is the Christ, who's redeemed his people from sin and Satan, or not. In, in the view of each and every person in the world. There are only two sides. Herod, what should he have done? Bowed the knee to the king. That's what he should have done. What should Pilate have done? Should have fallen on his face and acknowledged Jesus to be the king. But he, they didn't do that. So none of us can remain undecided on this. To remain neutral is to be opposed to Jesus. To ignore him, to pass by him, is not to acknowledge him as as king, as your king, as the king. So here's the question for all of us tonight. Do you recognize this king? Does this look like a kingdom? Can you see the glorious kingdom of this king right here? Do you see it? Does your heart leap with joy and with a sense of love and appreciation for this great king who makes his people willing in the day of his power. Let's close with what Pilate said to him and Jesus' response one more time. I'll take it from John 18. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So he is, as, as you view Jesus tonight, he's the king. He tells you what to do. He tells you to love your enemies. He says, forgive your brother 490 times. What do you say? He's the king. He's my Lord. Of course I'm going to forgive my brother and my sister. Of course I'm going to to forgive my enemies and, and to love those and pray for those who persecute me. He's the king. He tells you to do these things. That's, that's our king. We bow the knee to him. We acknowledge him. But not just a king. He's the prophet, as he says here, the prophet to bring us the truth of God. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. He's our savior. He is the Christ. And we receive him in that way tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus he is our king. We acknowledge him. We bow the knee to him. We praise him. We worship him. 
We, we exalt him. We delight in the king. We love our king. We stand up for him. Father, we repent of any lackadaisical attitude we've had in the past concerning our king. We receive him tonight as our king. We receive his words as, our, as the prophet, as the one who gives us the very word of God. And we follow him as our Lord. And we receive him as our Savior, the only Savior of our souls. Father, we delight in this message tonight. We delight in the kingdom of our king. What, what a wonderful kingdom. What a great king. We exalt in the kingdom and the king tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.